0: Everything here at Keyboard Kimura is presented by One Bone, the first size-inclusive big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I've been rocking with One Bone for a little bit now. And there are a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different styles of pants and shorts to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, the whole collection I'm in. But it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter. Fit does. I'm a bigger guy, and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up was a challenge, but OneBone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants, and everything is made from premium fabrics, with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL, and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. There is a sizing guide on the website that makes it easy to find the absolute right fit. And from flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, One Bone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns to guarantee your perfect fit. And you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian. And for me, that's important. As a One Bone Ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, Spencer Kite, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you get 15% off your entire order. It is, as I said, a one-time use code but I'm confident that once you cop some one bone gear and become part of the one bone family yourself, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of one bone apparel. Go check out drop 17, which hit the site a couple of days ago, featuring four new colors in the scoop and the V-neck t-shirts, plus the new outwork pants in military green and black. I've got an order going in this week. You should too. One bone for big and all. Surprise, Guess who's back? Guess who's around? A little bit earlier than I expected. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura Podcast. I'm your host, E. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man, here on Monday, September 11th to deliver a impromptu, an unexpected edition of the podcast presented as always by the fine folks at One Bone. Originally, the intention was to turn up tomorrow with my guy Harry Powell, to have a conversation that is still going to happen. Harry and I are going to sit down tomorrow morning and record a show talking about excellence, greatness, champions, those sorts of things. I imagine we're going to do it on StreamYard. So there will be a video version of it available on the Keyboard Kimura YouTube page as well. But in checking in with him this morning and catching up with him this morning, And talking about this card coming up on Saturday, Noche UFC, headlined by Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko, fighting for the flyweight title. He asked me about the number of times a UFC title has been defended on television, outside of pay-per-view. And that, of course, just sort of is is sticking a, a needle right into the nerve center of things I like. Because you can't say... I wonder how many times this happened and what the composition of those fight cards, what the breakdown of which divisions and which fighters and who it was will come from that and not expect me to dive headfirst. As I said to him when he said it, looks like I know what I'm doing this afternoon. It is 1.30 Pacific Standard Time here in Abbotsford, British Columbia. I have spent the last hour pouring over the data, pouring through the list of previous UFC events and to the best of my abilities, I may have missed one here or there along the way, but here is what I have come up with. There have been 24 instances where a UFC title was defended outside of a pay-per-view broadcast. They are, and I'll run them down real quick, UFC 75, which was a taped delay show from England that aired live across the pond and aired in North America on tape delay, on Spike TV. Quentin Rampage Jackson defending the light heavyweight title against Dan Henderson. Champion versus champion Rampage 1. Away we go. UFC on versus 6. Dominic Cruz versus Demetrius Johnson for the bantamweight title. UFC on Fox 1. Cain Velasquez versus Junior Dos Santos for the heavyweight title. Of course, the the big Kickoff special event for the UFC on Fox partnership. We then had Demetrius Johnson versus John, Demetrius Johnson versus John Dodson for the flyweight title. Excuse me. Before that, we had Benson Henderson versus Nathan Diaz for the lightweight title. Both of those on Fox. We had UFC on Fuel TV Seven. Henan Burrell versus Michael McDonald for the interim bantamweight title. Back to Fox for Henderson versus Melendez. Demetrius Johnson versus John Moraga. Demetrius Johnson versus Joseph Benavidez. Two, those last two, of course, for the flyweight title. Henderson Melendez for the lightweight title. We then had the Ultimate Fighter season twenty finale, the crowning of Carla Esparza as the inaugural strawweight champion. We had UFC Fight Night sixty nine, Joanna Jędrzejczyk defending the belt against Jessica Penne in Berlin, Germany. That one aired on Fight Pass. We then went back to Fox for TJ Dillashaw versus Henneman Route 2 at Bantamweight. We had Rafael Dosanos defend the lightweight title against Donald Cowboy Cerrone on Fox. We had TJ Dillashaw defend the Bantamweight title against Dominic Cruz, UFC Fight Night 81, that aired on Fox Sports 1. We had the Tough 23 finale where, sorry, first we had RDA versus Eddie Alvarez. UFC Fight Night 90 for the lightweight title. Followed the next day by the Tough 23 finale. Yohanian Jacek defeating Claudia Gadea for a second time. Strawweight title there. Both of those on Fox Sports 1. Tough 24 finale. Demetrius Johnson defeating Tim Elliott. That was the conclusion of the undefeated challengers. Or, form, or champions from around the regional promotions. Battling for an opportunity to face DJ. DJ gets the best of Tim Elliott. He then defends the title against Wilson Hayes, tying the record, Anderson Silva's record, for the most consecutive successful title defenses at 10. That aired on Fox. We have the Tough 26 finale, Nico Montano, defeating Roxanne Modaffari to become the inaugural UFC Women's Flyweight Champion. That is a Fox Sports 1 event. And then we move into the ESPN Plus era, Kicked off with Demetrius, sorry, Henry Cejudo, defending the title, the flyweight title, against T.J. Dillashaw. We had Valentina Shevchenko defending her flyweight title against Liz Carmouche in Argentina. We had Jessica Andrade defending the strawweight title against Zhang Wei in China. And then the last two prior to this weekend, Davison Figueroa and Joseph Benavidez for the flyweight title. ESPN plus twenty seven and plus. 30. ESPN plus 30. Those are the last two in the summer of 2020, which brings us to this weekend, Alexa Grasso, Valentina Shevchenko, UFC Fight Night on ESPN plus Noche UFC. That's the list. Now let's get into some of the breakdowns and takeaways and conclusions. So as I mentioned earlier, 24 occurrences. To put that in perspective, there have been 343 UFC title fights, including interim championship fights over the course of UFC history. That means that just 7% of all UFC title fights have taken place on television outside of pay-per-view. So I know nobody likes to hear, hey, this is a special thing. You should really appreciate it. But like, we should really appreciate this because 93% of title fights Require you to shell out additional on top of what you're already paying to see fights and to see championship fights. It that stat, that fact, that number makes me look back even more fondly on the Fox era. And I will get to having already looked fondly at the Fox era because we did get a bunch of title fights, right? There was a period where we were getting a bunch of title fights. I broke it down, right? nine UFC on Fox events with title fights. So of 24 occurrences, right? More than a third of them took place on Fox in that short window where the UFC and Fox were partnered. And we've had five already on ESPN plus, which is a good number for a relatively short lifespan of that partnership as well. But in total, right? 24 occurrences out of 343, we don't get a lot of them. So when they happen, It feels like they should be special and appreciated and celebrated and all of those things. When you break it down by division, it's one at heavyweight, one at light heavyweight, two in the women's flyweight division, four at bantamweight, four at strawweight, and eight in the men's flyweight division, with the majority of those, five of those, being Demetrius Johnson as the champion defending his title. So the thing I look at the, the the initial sort of conclusions I have as I go through these number these numbers and these these instances is obviously only certain divisions are landing on television or streaming where the championship is on the line. There's no denying that, right? We haven't had any instances of the middleweight title, the welterweight title, or even the featherweight title being defended on television or a stream that I think ties into only certain fighters, only certain champions are going to be pushed to television or allowed to defend their title on television. Demetrius Johnson is the obvious person that we talk about here because as I said, five of his 11 championship defenses took place on television on, on Fox or on Fox sports. One, that's crazy, but he was at that time, and, and we're definitely going to get into this, a guy that people talked about of not being a pay-per-view draw and things of that nature. So it makes sense. We saw that a lot, certain champions, he he being the leader of that pack, right? You see with the lightweight division where there have been a couple of different instances where the lightweight title has been defended on television and there were four four such instances. I think I skipped that as I was going through. But it's been pick and choose, right? And it's really interesting because it was around it was around three fighters. So Benson Henderson defended on Fox twice and Rafael Dos Anjos defended on television twice. And in between there, Anthony Pettis won the belt and then headlined a pay-per-view in his next title fight. And I think if you look at the three of those men, it sort of really illustrates the certain divisions, but also certain champions and certain level of fighter, level of star, I should say. Because level of fighter, they're all on the same level. They're all champions. But Benson Henderson wasn't a star. Benson Henderson wasn't a guy that people were clamoring to see on pay-per-view, nor was Rafael Dos Anjos. But Anthony Pettis had that next level magnetism, had that next level gravity that pulled people. Now, unfortunately for Pettis in the UFC, things didn't work out the way they expected. They put him on pay-per-view in his first championship defense in Dallas and RDA ran through him and took the belt. And then his next title defense, his next couple opportunities are on television as opposed to pay-per-view. And he never got that big pay-per-view bump that he was potentially going to get with the fight with Conor McGregor, which is a whole nother podcast for another day. But when I look at those things and I, and I think about those, obviously, again, another one of the takeaways is that the lightest weight classes are featured more prominently. More than half of the instances where a, a UFC title has been defended on television come from the two weight classes that represent the lightest weight class on each side of the gender divide, right? Flyweight is the lightest weight class on the male side. We have eight fights there. Strawweight is the lightest weight class. On the female side, we have four fights there. That makes 12. Literally half of the time, it has been the lightest weight classes. And I think anybody that is listening to this, anybody that looks at these things, I think we understand, and there has always been this innate belief that bigger fighters and the heavyweights and the light heavyweights and the people that are going to knock others out sell better, push better, work better on pay-per-view than the lighter weight classes. And as always, the the sort of measure for a number of years was always DJ. People didn't want to see him on pay-per-view. And we can, we will get into some of that because there's thoughts I have about those things. But it's clear that the lighter weight classes are the ones that are always going there or going there far more frequently. If you pull The two ultimate fighter seasons where it was crowning a champion for the first time. So, tough 20, when Carla, sorry, when Carla Esparza, I almost said Carla Gadea, Carla Esparza won the strawweight title, and tough 26, where Nico Montano won the flyweight title. It means that more than a third of the occurrences have been the men's flyweight division, which is really interesting given how much. The hardcore community loves that division and celebrates a bunch of the athletes at the top of that weight class, but how different that is from the general perception. And again, going to dive into some of these things in greater detail here coming forward. But just when you look at those raw numbers and that raw sort of calculation of how this all breaks out, we see that the flyweight division and the strawweight division are the most prominent. And we see... Demetrius Johnson was the most prominent of any of the athletes. And TJ Dillashaw competed there a couple of times. And Joanna Janjajic, early in her career, did as well with the first win over Jessica Panay, her first title defense, and then the Ultimate Fighter rematch, part of International Fight Week in 2016 against Claudia Gadea. It's interesting to see who passed through this sort of cycle, and whether they went on to be bigger stars. And you could say you could argue like DJ is Demetrius Johnson is part of a quarter of these fights. Right? He had his five successful title defenses and he had the bantamweight fight against Dominick Cruz back in the day before flyweight existed. So DJ's through a part, through through a big part of these fights and certainly wasn't a guy that became a great big star in terms of the general the overall public opinion. And now this is where I want to drill down a little bit, because I think this is really interesting, maybe just to me, but it's a piece of this that I really, really truly want to talk about. So bear with me here. When I said earlier that I look back on that Fox era where we were getting championship fights on televised, on network television, where we were getting a lot of them being Demetrius Johnson fights, right? Five of the nine. I look back on that very fondly because to me, it meant I got to see the greatest fighter, the best fighter active in the sport at that time competing on network television. And it meant that people were going to be able to tune in and see who at that period for me was the greatest representation of mixed martial arts And all the wonderful, beautiful, skillful things it can be. DJ is a tremendous dude. Well-spoken, energetic, articulate, good interview, funny, personable, great backstory. And just so happened to be the most complete fighter we had in the UFC for the longest time. For a great number of years. He was entertaining. He was active. There was that little period where folks were like, well, he's kind of boring, and he shook shook free of that pretty quickly as well. Like, I don't think anybody looks back on it now and thinks, man, remember when DJ was super boring? Like, I think that was a mistake at the time. Yeah, there were some decisions early in that run, but we then got a finish of John Moraga on Fox, a knockout of Joseph Benavidez on Fox. We then got a great fight with Tim... Elliot, Like we got some really great fights. We got a great fight with Tim Elliott. We got the submission win over Wilson Hayes to equal Anderson Silva's record on Fox. And then he closed out his championship run with the the mighty whiz bar on Ray Borg. That was on pay-per-view, but like we we dispelled the Demetrius Johnson is boring because in there as well are submission finishes of Chris Cariaso and Kyoji Horiguchi and a gnarly knee to the body of... Henry Cejudo as pay-per-view headliners or co-mains that like just silenced any questions about whether Demetrius Johnson was exciting or entertaining or any of those things. The reason I really stick on and and drill down on DJ is because like it's just crazy to me that we were given five opportunities to see this amazing guy compete on network television and it didn't really translate to increased pay-per-view, increased stardom, even increased coverage. And now, as always, it is the UFC's job to promote these athletes. You will never hear me say otherwise. I think they can always do more. There are avenues where they can always do better. And I think everybody agrees that there are times when the UFC doesn't focus on promoting the athletes enough many times. I think some people will probably laugh when we, when they hear me say times and be like, dude, it's all the time. Fine. I don't think it is all the time, but fine. What interests me about this period is that it's also where it comes to me that that we as media, and I know I talk about this a lot, but please hear me out. We as media have an opportunity to not only Celebrate how special a fight like this weekend is, getting to see Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko compete for the flyweight title on television, on streaming, as is the case, ESPN Plus in the States. TSN here for me on Saturday, I believe. Not not 100% sure yet, but I believe that's the case. But also that we got the opportunity to see DJ and to see some of these other men and women compete on television where we didn't have to shell out any extra. And a lot of the times it feels like we didn't necessarily appreciate it or showcase enough, celebrate enough. What a great opportunity it was when DJ was constantly fighting on Fox, when he was repeatedly turning up on Fox, the conversation was always, Hey, why aren't you on pay-per-view? Why is it that you don't draw? That's what was being asked Of him. And they're valid questions. They're understandable questions. But it always, at the time, and even more so now, felt like a missed opportunity for us as media, for us as the voices that people listen to about this sport, to stand up and say, listen, on Saturday night, you're going to get to watch the best fighter on the planet compete on Fox. You don't have to pay any extra money. You don't have to do anything other than sit down and turn on your cable and watch Demetrius Johnson. He is the most complete athlete in this sport. He is tremendous. He is on an incredible run. He went on to tie and then break Anderson Silva's record. And the thing we talked about more going into it was, hey, man, why aren't you any good on pay-per-view? Why don't people want to tune in and see you? Which feels like just diminishing and detracting from how great he is. And I know, as always, people will say, hey, it's not our job to lift these people up and celebrate these people and, you know, promote these fights in that regard. And I understand that, but like, just stating the fact that this man is the best fighter on the planet and it's dope that people got a chance to see him compete by just turning on their television and tuning into a channel that's already part of their cable package was amazing. It was outstanding. We have to pay for literally everybody else. As I said, 93% of title fights we've had to pay for. We've had to shell out to get to see them. Some of them good, some of them bad. Some of them nowhere near as good as involving a guy like Demetrius Johnson. And yet we did. And yet when he was on Fox, we weren't all that impressed. When Joanna Janjacek was defending her title on Fox Sports 1, we didn't celebrate it. We didn't go crazy about getting to see the strawweight queen, Joanna Champion, defending her title on Fox Sports 1. We downplayed, we underplayed, we undersold some of these fights that have landed on ESPN Plus since since the UFC's inception of their relationship with ESPN. And like, we got Henry Cejudo and TJ Dillashaw to kick off that relationship. We got Valentina Shevchenko in the prime of her flyweight kicking ass. We got Jessica Andrade and Zhang Wei Li, who have continued to be two of the top female talents in this sport many years down the road, and we got Davison Figueroa before the quadrology with Brandon Moreno going back to back with Joseph Benavidez in compelling, interesting, entertaining fights, and we just kind of were like, "Yeah, I guess so." Well, it could be better, and it feels to me, and I'm I'm worried going into Saturday. That we're going to look at this and go, I mean, it's good, but like this card could be better. We don't get these opportunities to see championship fights on this level where we're just tuning in, just loading up ESPN+. And I know people are going to say, yeah, bro, but the rest of the card could be better. Sure. But look at this in comparison to some of the other fight nights that everybody has been complaining about for weeks and months and years on end. We get a championship fight in the main event. We get Kevin Holland and Jack Della Maddalena in the co-main and a bunch of entertaining, compelling, interesting, young, emerging, up-and-coming fighters throughout the rest of the card. This shit is great. And we need to celebrate it. We need to be excited about it. And we as media have an opportunity to use this as a chance to draw people in. If... Alexa Grosso defeats Valentina Shevchenko on Saturday to retain the title. It changes the dynamic of this division. It resets and sets us on a different course than it would if Valentina Shevchenko wins the belt and gets it back, let's say, in dominant fashion, where the win in March for Alexa Grosso becomes a bit of a blip. And we then sort of just feel like we reset to Val on top of the division. We get to watch that without putting any extra money out of our pocket. That's a cool fucking thing. And it's a rare thing. And it feels like we don't sit back and appreciate those moments the way that, quite frankly, I think we should. The other interesting thing when I look at who has been on television versus who certainly wasn't going to be is that it sort of feels like it highlights to me the dichotomy between the best fighters and the most talented fighters and the biggest stars. So I go back to the DJ run and I do believe at the time, Demetrius Johnson was the best fighter on the planet, the most complete fighter on the planet. He was the guy I looked forward to seeing the absolute most. And I know that's going to vary for everybody else, but I think we can agree. He was in that very rare class of elite, complete talents. The first little stretch of that run, the first three of those five appearances as the flyweight champion on Fox came when Ronda Rousey first arrived in the UFC. George St. Pierre was still around. Anderson Silva was still doing his thing, was getting towards the end of his championship reign. John Jones was in the midst of his run. So they were dominating pay-per-view. Those were the stars that people were tuning in to see. Those are four athletes that if they fought twice a year, that gives you eight of 13 pay-per-views, right? And then you mix in two fights for whoever's the heavyweight champion, and there you're at 10, and so we're off and running, and it's easy to see. Throw in Jose Aldo in there, and there you go. It's it's real easy to break down how we got to pay-per-view main events and DJ not being a part of that. At the back end of it, for those last couple of fights, the Tim Elliott, the Wilson Hayes, that's when Connors come around. And so you have the big fights with Conor McGregor. You have sort of some of those other, John Jones is still obviously there. The middleweight title, as I said, never been defended outside of pay-per-view. Chris Weidman doing his thing, then Michael Bisping, Then Luke Rockhold, then Michael Bisping, and on and on and on. Same with heavyweight, same with late heavyweight, as I said, John's still doing his thing. Welterweight got interesting because George retired and we had different changings of the guards over time. But it, It really, to me, again, highlights that the biggest stars are going to be on pay-per-view, but it doesn't always mean that the best fighters are on pay-per-view. And I think that's a thing that we lose sight of sometimes when we're looking at just these fight night events in general. Don't get me wrong. The champions are the best fighters on the planet in 99% of all cases. I know somebody's going to be like, really, Sean Strickland? Look, man, give the dude his due, as I said on Sunday on The Takeaways. But there's also times, like when we had DJ and some of these other men and women competing on Fox or on Fox Sports 1 or ESPN+, Plus, where absolutely phenomenal talents are competing outside of pay-per-view and they're just not the biggest stars. And I think there are times where we lose sight of that difference between the two and we focus more I would say understandably on the stars and the names rather than the talents personally I lean far more into talent than I do stardom celebrity level of notoriety all of those things I'm way more interested in seeing I don't know let me let me I'm way more interested in seeing Alexander Volkanovsky compete than I am seeing Conor McGregor compete. I know globally and from the MMA community writ large, that's not the case. More people are interested in Conor McGregor than they are Alexander Volkanovsky. I understand that Conor has a greater casual pull than Volk does. But it just it just feels to me like we miss chances at times to celebrate these great moments and these great athletes when we're getting them essentially, ostensibly, it's not for free, but it's for money that we're already paying for these services, right? That was one of the things when people were like, you're getting these fights for free. And people would be like, I got to pay my cable bill. Right, but you're paying your cable bill. If you have ESPN Plus already, this weekend, you get to see a championship fight because you've already subscribed to it. Historically, traditionally, getting to see a, a championship fight is going to cost you for me $65 in Canada. For people I understand in the United States, it's like $85. Bucks, so that's just crazy. It doesn't cost you anything more this weekend. So let's celebrate that. Let's be pumped about that. These things don't come along very often. As I said, this is the first time that we've gotten here since Davison Figueroa and Joseph Benavidez went back to back on fight in this in the summer in, in 2020 first i believe in in norfolk norfolk norfolk, norfolk? i got to learn how to pronounce that properly in norfolk virginia and then in on fight island i mean it's it's wild right like that was a long time ago that was a long time ago think of everything that has happened since then that we're now just getting back to or just getting around to having another UFC championship fight on non-paper, on a non-pay-per-view show. It doesn't happen often. We need to celebrate it. We need to be excited. We need to use this opportunity to tell people these are two of the absolute best female fighters on the planet, two of the best fighters, period, on the planet, competing on Saturday for our entertainment, for our enjoyment. On ESPN Plus, on TSN here in Canada, on whatever platform you get it, wherever you are listening to this. We need to celebrate those things. And as media, I understand again, I will make this clear one more time. The onus, the responsibility, the burden is on the UFC to promote these fights and these fighters. We as media, however, have have power, have a voice, have strength, have a say can influence people's thoughts and opinions and decisions. And I feel like we need to use it for good more than we do. We need to use it to raise up cards like this, to raise up athletes like this, rather than to sit here and say, well, why wasn't this on pay-per-view? Or, hey, Demetrius Johnson, why don't people tune in to see you fight on pay-per-view? He didn't care. I didn't care back then. I don't understand why we cared so much as media and as fans. It always felt to me like the weirdest thing to be upset about and and focused on. I actually, if I was a fan, I would have thought like, this is great that he doesn't draw because I get to see him on Fox. I don't have to spend any more money. So this weekend we get to see a really compelling fight between Alexa Grosso and Valentina Shevchenko for the women's flyweight title. It is a fascinating fight to me. I am so looking forward to this fight. I can't wait to get into one question in 10 things and onto Friday's picks and plays and then sit down on Saturday and watch this unfold because it is a fascinating fight to me. And I hope that people appreciate the rare occurrence that we are getting on Saturday and give it the celebration, make it a celebration that it deserves to be. Raise this card up, raise these athletes up, celebrate this moment. It's been three years since we got one of these. It may be another three before we get another one. And so while I understand the tendency, while I understand the inclination is to be frustrated by everything that happens within the UFC, we're getting a real good thing on Saturday. We're getting a rare occurrence to see a UFC championship fight outside of pay-per-view between two tremendous fighters in a super compelling rematch. I hope folks appreciate it. It doesn't come around often. It's going to be a great fight. This has been really cool to dive into. As I said, thank you, Harry, for scratching this little itch in my brain and getting me to dive down this rabbit hole. As I said off the top, he and I will be back tomorrow to talk about greatness and champions and how we view them in this day and age in the current MMA landscape. Until then, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for tuning in. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Know that you're loved. I am E. Spencer Kite. This is the Keyboard Kimura podcast. Check out the boys at One Bone. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Kite. We'll talk to you tomorrow.